Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Which is, of course, Japanese for Achtung, Achtung. As regular listeners of We Have Ways of Making You Talk will know. And, uh, well, we're make, we're, that's what you're listening to, We Have Ways of Making You Talk. This isn't something else, is it, no. James? No. No, no, no. no, no. So like, I don't there know can what... be only one. There can be... <laughs> there, can be many, there can be many intros, but only one, one We Have Ways podcast. And here we are at episode 407. Who'd have thought it? I know, quite that's... amazing. Yeah. That's two okay. more runs than Graham Hicks High School. First I, I saw him bat once in county cricket a very long time ago. I can't, uh, it was at Lords. I can't remember um, what the fixture was because I used to have a job doing cushions at Lords. Did um, you really? I yeah, knew I, that. I, I knew the guy who did the cushions at Lords and Wimbledon, and it was a great holiday job when I was a student. Yeah, I bet. Um, uh, and you'd basically you'd be on the barrow in the morning, then you'd watch whatever you'd watch the sport all day, and then you'd have to pick them up last thing after it all ended. Yeah, well, that's all right. That seems like a yeah. like a completely fair do. And I saw Hick. During the bit where they were trying to figure out how to make him English, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he was amazing. Yeah, pre nineteen, whatever it was. Yeah, totally imperious. You know, yeah, the whole thing. And then you know, and then of course comes to England. Doesn't ever quite happen. Strange, wasn't it? Well, I think that was a lot to do with with um, um, selection, wasn't it? Selection policy yeah. back in those days. Sort of stop, start, stop, start. If they'd, they'd given him a good run today, I yeah. mean, he would have ended up being brilliant. Uh, he came actually and played in the opening, the the inaugural match at the new Chalk Valley Cricket Club Did he? Um, ground up up at Bower Chalk in 2011, which really? was coincidentally my 40th birthday. Um, oh. <laughs> we had a Spitfire flyover at tea time. Oh, for heaven's sake! <laughs> we did. Uh, it wasn't a Mark One; it was five, but oh, it was still right, very, right. very good. And he, came, it was amazing because um, because Mark Cuff came into bowl, uh, and yeah. Cuffy is an absolute legend of the club, been around for absolutely ever. He's retired now, but now carries on yeah. as groundsman. But anyway, he used to bowl these kind of sort of sort of back of the hand leg spinners. Yeah. Anyway, literally, literally, first ball, Graham Hick just hit him for six. I mean, straight into oh. the churchyard. You've never seen anyone hit a six so effortlessly. I mean, he barely touched it. And literally, mm. I kid you not, two balls later, he was caught out at mid-off. Oh, really? Oh, that's all yeah. right. Then. So Cuffy, Cuffy fouled Graham Hick. And in this oh. kind of celebrity team match, it was the Bunbury's, David English Bunbury's team. Cuffy got something like three for 12. Well, that's very strong. <laughs> Is that what's amazing? Yeah, it's very, very strong. Very, very anyway, strong. we digress from yes, Chewy yes, Chewy. Why, <laughs> why Japanese today, you may be wondering, regular listener or, or newbie? Um, well, on December the 13th, 1941, so 80 years ago to the day we're recording this episode, uh, a curious little incident took place that would have major repercussions. It was called the Nihau incident, and it involved a crashed Japanese plane on the Hawaiian island of Nihau, and the attempt by three Hawaiians of Japanese descent to help him escape, get armed and take hostages. Now, no big deal in and of itself, but some historians believe this incident led to the internment of Japanese Americans. Mm. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, mood's at fever pitch, isn't it? And um, Yes, but we've talked, I mean, we've talked about... Um, I mean, internment of Japanese Japanese Americans was, was, was pretty savage. I think it was, it was a bit more kind of brutal than... than Chucking the Jews, the German Jews on on the Isle of Man. Yeah, um, but 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 we've talked before about how 
you know, uh, well, last week we were talking to Waitman about how, you know, events get leapt on by uh, institutions that have something in mind anyway. And I think that's maybe, maybe that the, the Nihau incident is in a way nothing to do with it. I mean, I don't know anything about this, but maybe it's, you know, you, you give the authorities an excuse and they can they can jump well, on a thing, can't they? Put it this way: think how paranoid people are today, and how full of oh. conspiracy theories people are, and, and yeah. then kind of take it back to the fact that you're actually in a world war. Is it any yeah. wonder that people were yeah. a little bit suspicious yeah, yeah. and imagining fifth columnists and kind of you know parachuting yeah. German well, lines and, and all the rest of it? And and you know everything's drenched in a kind of racism anyway. That 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 right. But yeah. the Nisai, you know, the Nisai um, regiment and and troops, the Japanese troops, particularly in Italy, were, you know, were ferocious and, and yeah. brilliant and yeah. and absolutely did Uncle Sam proud, etc., yeah. etc. Yeah. But you know, just another big moment in our 80th anniversary of of 1941. I know. It's a big week. The biggest it's month a, in the whole of the World the War. The biggest II. month of the Second World War. No, World no, no, War Two. World War Two. <laughs> Adolf Hitler, dictator of Germania. Um, anyway, um, uh, now um, before we get before we get going, probably on Thursday we've an unusual but fascinating guest on the show, a young American woman called Autumn Hendrickson, who's investigated the Second World War stories of all the people from a single U.S. town um, called yeah. Reading. Um, and for members of the, yeah, there are American towns you just called Reading. Gervais, don't you? <laughs> and for members of the independent company, a quick notice, there's no live stream next week. Mr. Holland is in Sri Lanka, sunning himself while the rest of us pretend to enjoy. Hopefully, 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 hopefully. I'm not anyway. Well, I'm, do, I'm, do, I'm doing important research onto um, onto Salon's wartime effort. And, I'm um, going to see if Supergrass have still got it that night. So there we go. So um, <laughs> that's my important research. Um, now, Apparently um, they have. Yeah, well, I, the last time I saw them, they were truly amazing. But that was a long time ago. Anyway, um, I've got something I thought we might talk about. Go on, go on. Well, my my in-laws, um, my mother-in-law, <laughs> um, uh, she brought the, um, some pages from the parish newsletter. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna omit a couple of tiny details because okay, I'm not, but date date. Oh, recent fourth of September to 2021. Okay, so this is really and recent, it, and it's reflections on a military show. I'm not going to say where because I don't want to I don't want to get into sort of a mudslinging thing. Right um, now, it's a long letter, but. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's become customary to warn people that what they may be about to see, hear or read might upset or offend them. The following text might have the, that effect. I was born in 1939, a few months before the start of the Second World War. I live with my family in Islington, North London, throughout the war. And we narrowly survived the Blitz, the continuing bombing of London, the onslaught by V1 and V2 vengeance weapons. For many months, we slept in a dank and spider-infested Anderson shelter in the back garden, fearful of being blown to bits like seven close neighbours and waiting for the air raid sirens to sound the all clear. Fortunately, the defeat of the Luftwaffe by the RAF and the Battle of Britain thwarted Hitler's plan to invade and occupy Great Britain. Had the Germans been successful, I and the rest of my Jewish family might well have been taken to a concentration camp to be gassed and incinerated, sharing the fate of millions of people considered by the Germans to be untermentioned subhuman. Clearly, we did not suffer this fate, but my war-torn childhood left me with an abiding interest in the history of the war and the Holocaust and grave suspicion of nationalism. The nightly bombing raids, the thunder of anti-aircraft guns, the probing glare of searchlights in the night sky has left me with a morbid fascination with warfare. The regular passage um, uh, of military vehicles past our house fueled this interest, as did the curious hobby, enjoyed at that time by many small boys, of collecting shrapnel from the um, many bomb sites in the neighbourhood and displaying choice pieces of mangled metal on the mantelpiece. It is perhaps not surprising, therefore, that I looked forward to satisfying this appetite for military hardware by attending a show that I'm not going to name because I don't want to have a bun fight. 
This event is regarded by many as a worthy experience with laudable intentions. To quote the organiser, Quote the organisers. This show is a not-for-profit local show by run, run by a small team of military vehicle enthusiasts and collectors. Our mission is simple to run a friendly and inclusive event with the aim of promoting and raising much-needed funds for military charities. This year, the show was attended by some 15,000 visitors. Core jealous. was clearly a success and must have raised a large sum of money for the charities it supports. Right now. Now, here comes the... the... meat. However... I was horrified to see that the show was tainted by the presence of several displays of Nazi regalia and weapons, attended by people, reenactors and in inverted commas, wearing Nazi uniforms. Two of these exhibits referred explicitly to the SS, the Schutzstaffel, a major paramilitary organisation owing allegiance to Adolf Hitler and the German Nazi Party. The SS participated in arguably the most horrific crimes in recorded history, namely the extermination on industrial scale of Jews, Roma, gay people and other groups thought by the Nazis to be subhuman. The SS also took part in unspeakable medical experiments on men, women and children and the murder of people, including thousands of children to considered to be disabled or a genetic threat to future generations and therefore unworthy in life. Unworthy of life. Why these reenactors chose to spend a weekend in Surrey dressed as mass murderers puzzled me. To gain insight, now this is, the, here we go, to gain insight, I spoke at some length to two of them who were proud to pose for photographs in their SS uniforms. They told me they regarded their activities as living history and that their intention was to extol the virtues of the SS as an elite military cadre worthy of admiration. They were reluctant to discuss the sickening record of the SS and disagreed with my suggestion that their grotesque masquerade sanitised and glamorised the murderous organisation they personified. They bridled at my notion that a more informative and balanced display of living history would have included, for example, a mass grave, a crematorium, a pile of human ashes or a large sack of human hair. I also asked them how I could distinguish a Nazi reenactor from a neo-Nazi. If a person dresses up as a member of the SS and professes admiration for their values and military prowess, despite knowing their vile history, I would suspect that he or she would be attracted to the far-right movements of today. Their responses could be summarised as stout denial. Another exhibit depicted the Volkssturm, a deeply unsavoury Nazi paramilitary organisation which conscripted and armed young boys and old men in a futile attempt to bolster the defence of the German Reich in the closing stages of the war. Members of the Volkssturm committed atrocities against fellow German citizens. In my view, this portrayal of organisations whose chief function was the systematic extermination of many millions of children, women and men was abhorrent. It was especially shocking in the setting of a local village event attended by large numbers of children, whose benign objective was to entertain, be friendly and inclusive and to raise money for charity. The website did not contain explicit warnings that the show would include such offensive displays. The presence of these charades at the show could be interpreted as a support for neo-Nazi groups. A stand selling Nazi militaria and prominently displaying swastika flags could only add to this impression. We live in an era of heightened nationalism, xenophobia and the resurgence of extremism. Do we wish this to be regarded as a community that could be seen, albeit mistakenly, to provide a platform for such odious organisations and to endorse their values? That's in the, my mother-in-law's parish newsletter. Wow. And then, well, I'm, I'm afraid, I, you know, I completely agree with him. I mean, I completely agree. And the <laughs> organise, the organisers reply and kind of go, um, "Sorry, sorry for any offence caused." Um, uh, the issues raised about the German reactors are complex. Something we're not shying away from, but you know, we we've got we recognise basically saying, "Yeah, you know what? We think we may have we may have messed up here." I, I. I the thing is, we've talked about this before, but to see someone, the idea that someone challenged these guys is really, really fascinating, I think. because I that, think it is. And I mean, you, you know, literally, I mean, I would say 10 years ago, if you got 
reenact Second World War re- reenactors, they'd either be American or they'd be German. Yeah. And if they're German, nine times out of ten, they're SS. Not always, yeah. but but nine times out. Of 10. So yeah. we got this. Uh, so I got to know the, the, this guy. He's a really lovely bloke, um, and he came down with this stug. They had this stug. They all turned up and they were freaking SS. They yeah. were dressed in SS stuff. What for an SS? Yeah. And I said, um, oh, you know, do, do, do you want to go for a ride? And, and Ned was younger then. And I said, yeah, okay, fine. And I was just thinking, oh, Christ, this is an absolute nightmare. You know, it's a Daily Mail Chalkbury History Festival. There's all these SS people here. And, um, and you know, d- n- not casting any expressions on the Daily Mail, I hasten to add, just more that, you know, no. it could be very embarrassing for them. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. As for us, you know. And... Um, Anyway, we got in there, and in the freaking turret, there was a picture on a piece of blue tack of Hitler, and it was just sort of, you know, stop this tank time. I mean, it was just... Yeah. I couldn't kind of... I didn't have the... I should have just said, right, I'm sorry, you're going to have to leave now. This is horrendous. but Because it was my fault. I should have done more due diligence. But we made a decision there and then, never, ever, ever to have any SS anywhere near our festival yeah. ever again and i would uh, and i feel more kind of i feel more hardcore about that than than i ever ever did i suppose what yeah. i used to think about it was you know it's a bit weird if someone wants to dress like that why would you want to do that it's a bit odd but i suppose you know you you have you know you wouldn't sort of shy away from having kind of sort of mongols when you're doing genghis khan or or, yeah. or whatever uh, but but that's just a completely rubbish argument and and doesn't stand any test whatsoever i mean now i feel absolutely 100 percent. i wouldn't have any anyone wearing any kind of ss insignia at all i would sort of possibly have some wehrmacht just maybe but i don't really you know i mean something like at warfest 5 for example i don't see any need for it at all i don't see any need for it we know what germans look like Uh, i'd be interested to have some german armor um but 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 you know i wouldn't particularly want them all dressed up as germans no i mean it's interesting though that this idea that these guys said you know, they, they 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 were what they were interested in was you know presenting the what, what is it they say their intention was to extol the virtues of the SS as an elite military cadre worthy of admiration. I think if you well well it, you know there's, well, there's so just many problems say, with that. Well, exactly because they're, they're not, and if that's they're what you ill-disciplined, think, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of commanded by by street brawlers. Exactly, you know, some of them end up being quite good, but that that's sort of more by kind of you know virtue of experience than it is yeah because of training and, and because of yeah. their their elite approach to soldiering. I mean, that's just absolute bollocks. Well, well, pr- pr- precisely. I mean, uh, and you, the, the, that's the thing that people have have t- that these that p- people have persuaded themselves of. It's interesting because that's basically Second World War Nazi propaganda, isn't it? That 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 they've swallowed whole, isn't it? The idea that yeah, the they, SS they, is but they haven't. They, they, okay, it's not that. It, it 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 is that, but it but it's it's this. I it it's absolutely. White supremacy and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. that is what it's all about. It, yeah. uh, it just is. Uh, and and anyone who says, "Oh, I'm just doing it because of the historical interest," I'm sorry. You, you know, you 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 that doesn't wash. Yeah. You, you know, it doesn't wash because everybody who, if you're interested enough to put on a German uniform from the Second World War, you know enough about the Second World War to know that the SS were absolutely rotten to the core. Yeah. Uh, okay, by the end of the Second World War, some people were being, were being forced into joining Waffen-SS units uh, and had no matter, no say in the matter. But, but, but by the same token, but, but by the, the end of the ethos sec- of the SS absolutely well, is also, crystal clear. But the same token, by the end of the Second World War, you know exactly what the Nazi state is. 
uh, you know, right, it, it, it's not like it's, so, not, so like, there's no, it's not like there's, joining in 1937 and going, oh, I, I, or 1934 and having no proper uh, um, uh, uh, understanding no. of what what you're getting yourself into. It's, it's no, but but but, but you, what, I suppose what I'm saying is is you might have a few people who are are there, who've been conscripted into the Waffen SS division, so you have no choice in the matter. But Ooh. but but you are but you do have choice in the matter. That's yeah. the difference. You have a choice of dressing up as a as a British Tommy or an American or whatever, um, uh, or a French Resistance type, or a Waffen SS person, or frankly even a Wehrmacht person, and you yeah. have chosen to put on an SS uniform, and that yeah. that is. Deeply troubling, whichever way you look at it. Yeah, yeah. And, and it basically means that you, you, you know, I'm sorry, but but I, I cannot, I, I would not. I think anyone who does that voluntarily, prob- almost certainly, is racist and is almost certainly nationalist and is also almost certainly a white supremacist. They might not or, admit it, but at their s- core, they are going to be because there simply, is no other reason for doing it. Or simply doesn't care. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I just. I just. I just think you 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 must do because you've made a choice. Yeah. You've chosen to wear that, and you're not just doing it for the uniform. Mm-hmm. I, it, you would it, know. It, you would know. It's you fascinating, isn't it? It's fa- it's very interesting as well because I mean, in in a weird way, this sort of crosses over with the with the. Um, I've been reading Helen Fry's "The Walls Walls Have Ears," and you know, which is about um, Latimer House, uh, Trent Park. Wilton House, where they where they've got where they've got all the captured um, yeah. brass, basically. So and it's a big hall of generals after 1942. Is it a Wilton so, House too? Yeah, yeah. just down the road from me. Uh, no, it's called that, but it's not there. It, 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 it's oh. part of the same. Uh, it's part, I, I think anyway. It's Trent Park. It, it's but it's Trent Park. It's Trent I've Park. That's in my house. Yeah, it, it's the most amazing thing. And the and again, the weird thing about this is my mother-in-law's father worked there. And he's in Amazing. the he's in the staff list at the back of the book. Captain Te- E. A. Morton, Captain E. A. Morton is in the back of the book. It's the, it, the, uh, and and oh, and I say to her, well, you know, oh, he never really talked about it. He says he did a bit of translating, but he never really talked about it. And then he went, and then he went, you know, and you're like, ah, damn it! But basically, and this is the thing that when we spoke to Waitman last week, the sort of think question we ended up on up on was is that, you know is, is there any such thing as the clean Wehrmacht because these these things are, these things that we're all talk, we're talking about the same subject here in, in lots of ways and the it is clear from the conversations at Latimer House that absolutely everyone everyone Colonel up knew exactly what was going on right um in terms of in terms of genocide and you've got them expressed, some of them being mortified and disgusted, some of them going, yeah, kill the men, obviously, but the women and the children, that's going too far. And you've got, you know, the, the these officers arguing, going, well, yeah, but if you're going to do something about the Jewish, probably I'm afraid you're going to have to bite, you know, you're going to have to kill the women and the children as well. Like, it's absolutely unbelievable. And, and, and they're, you know, there's a paratrooper they capture in Italy who knows all about it. And he's talking about what's been going on in, in Eastern Europe. And it's this idea that that if they knew then, how a bloke dressing up now couldn't possibly know. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. as you say, Jim, it's... It, well, they do They do all know. I mean, I don't I, I don't think that, that, that lovely fellow from Ludwigstadt, who ended up being an artillery officer in Italy at the end of the war and kept bursting yeah. his tears on me when I was interviewing him, I don't think he knew. I just, I just don't think he did. I, I really don't. I think he was a sort of, you know, he's a country hick, and you know, what did he know about anything? I just don't think he did. But clearly, you know, at heart, they all did. Yeah. And 
you know that 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 series I did on the BB on the BBC a couple of Christmases ago, where we had the yeah, Nazi yeah, videos it, yeah. and stuff. You know, so you know th- those people are sending them back to kind of be developed in Frankfurt and Berlin and Munich and wherever. And you know, you know, all the all the developers are seeing all this stuff. Yeah, and then they're kind of doing it. They're, they're sending them back home to show people what they've been up to. Yeah, so you know, so so of course they of course they're knowing. I mean, you know, it just. In fact, I found that thing one of the most convincing things of all to persuade me about just how many Germans did, were absolutely up to their, their, their necks in it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's absolutely appalling that people um, would want to wear an SS uniform. I, I think it's really, really weird. I, I can't understand why you would. Um, I, I would never go so far as to ban it because I, I think, you know, you uh, should allow freedom of speech and stuff. Yes, and banning I, I things don't... is... Banning things is bad. Yeah, banning but... things is bad, you know. Just don't ban it. But 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 I think you know. I would. I mean, I remember going to the War and Peace show down in um, down at the Hop Farm, which is a brilliant sort of military affair. And 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 you know, when I was first working on all this stuff, it was brilliant for me because you know you could go around all these incredible stores and you could pick up stuff and handle things and you know you get a sort of feel for it in a way that you know I've always been very into this kind of sort of tactile approach to touch the war and kind of you know feeling the jackets and picking up the rifles and seeing how much they weigh and just getting that kind of you're just getting a little bit closer to it aren't you yeah. um, that that sort of vaguely experiential kind of level but i do remember being absolutely shocked when i was standing in a queue for something and suddenly i heard these german voices and i turned around and there were these two guys in ss and they were german oh. you know and you think whoa that's yeah, a yeah, yeah, big yeah, kind yeah. of yeah that's yeah that's uh, you know on British soil. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I felt you know, and I and I felt utterly disgusted by SSGB as well. I just I just didn't like the idea of. I just don't even like thinking about the idea yeah. that the SS might have been here in in Britain. You know, so I find the whole thing just completely repugnant. I, I just I think it's really really weird. And what, one of the things I think has been really good over the last years is the amount of of British reenactors who actually want to be Tommies now rather than yeah. Americans or or Wehrmacht. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think there's any place for it at all. I, I, you know, I just think you know, shun those people. You know, just yeah. just walk away. It's very, very odd. Very, very, very odd weird. indeed. We're going to take a very brief break, and we'll be back in a second. Where we're going to, I think, should we change the subject? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see you in a tick. Bye. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, of course. Um, now we're putting that all behind us. Now, th- this th- you've read you've read um, uh, uh, Helen Fry's stuff, haven't you, Jim? Yeah, I haven't read this new one. I think Helen's great, and I'd be very keen to get her on the on the show because she's a lovely person. Yeah, she, she's very warm. She's she's very um, articulate and passionate about her subject, and she's just a, she's just one of one of the world's nice people. Yeah, uh, well, because I, and she's, I think, and she's doing fascinating work. Actually, she's doing I've really, got, really interesting. Yeah, work. she is. She's doing an amazing job. I've got, I've got an idea for a We Have Ways project that um, I thought I'd run by you before I sicked on Tony. But basically, right after <laughs> you the war, you've got any choice now if you're going to do it on well, there. <laughs> well, after the war, right? So, so you know that one of the things they had going uh, uh, at um, in this um, MI19 operation, so it's the it's the it's the bugging. So so they run this so they run this extraordinary thing where they where 
<clears throat> they interrogate people and then after and then they and then I mean I think it's really clever because they interrogate people and then their rooms are bugged so they go back to the room and go well that was close they nearly got me to talk about the fucking wolf FW190 and the, the <laughs> other the other German will go well they don't want to hear about that plane because it's much better than any of their planes and, and, and that's so sort funny. of I mean I've, don't forget I, I, I remember reading all the I remember reading wads and wads yeah, of these yeah. for Battle of Britain I mean, they are folders which are, yeah. I'm putting my hands up, they're kind of, you know, four inches thick. I mean, they're, yeah. they are amazing. Yeah. And they, I mean, and that was it was reading those that got me onto this idea that the Bomber Command was bombing their airfields every night because they, all yeah. they do is go on about it. Complain and about bloody it. Bloody RF coming over, bombing Amiens again. You know, it's yeah. all the Santa Mer again. You know, I got yeah. no sleep the other night. I'm absolutely exhausted because the bloody Blenheim's coming over. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, so, so anyway, I digress. One of the so one of the things they used to do is they had stool pigeons. So people, um, yeah. you know, um, go as fake officers who would go in and talk to you know, it's incredibly dangerous, right? So they'd have people pretending to be German officers who go in to try and steer the conversation. But the other thing they did is they had a guy pretending to be um, Lord Aberfeldy, right? And Lord, <laughs> Lord Aberfeldy um, was that he was an intelligence officer, and the idea was that he would because he was a knob. Uh, um, that the, the Germans would warm to him because he was a toff, right? And Lord Aberfeldy would would would, and they ran him as a they ran him as a as a kind of sort of kind of a stool pigeon. And he'd he'd take them one side and go and say, "I'm awfully sympathetic to what Hitler's trying to achieve and all that sort of thing." Anyway, after the war, and this is my We Have Ways project. After the war, A. R. Rawlinson who was head of MI19, wrote a three-part play for the BBC based on the Lord Aberfeldy ruse that went out in the, that went out on the home service in the 1960s, right? And, and they changed it to Lord Glenaldi, right? So it's, the, you know, same but different. And, uh, and Lord Glenaldi is cast as a fake aristocrat. This is from Helen's book. Working at a bugging site that holds German generals in a stately home. In one scene in the play, Glenaldi and the German general, given the name von Hussen, though it's probably von Armin or it's von Toma or someone, do not succeed in achieving the surrender of the Channel Islands, which is a ruse they attempted out of um, Latimer House. They decide to stop off in Paris for the weekend without telling British intelligence. By Sunday, they had still not returned to Trent Park. There was panic within British military circles until Kendrick, known as Tommy in the play, received a phone call from Paris to say that Lord Glenaldi was partying in the capital with the capital with the general in tow. The irony was that the general trusted him so completely he did not attempt an escape. Now, at the time of its broadcast, the play was described to the press as factional, as some of the scenes are remarkably close to the facts and antics. So they did used to take them out. Um, uh, they took them. They took them to the Ritz. Uh, um, or they took them to Smith's in Mayfair. I had no idea. They took them to Smith's in Mayfair, and because one of the things they were going to do to break them was to show them that London was just carrying on. So yeah, they were ta- so they took them to Smith's in Mayfair. These generals taken out for lunch, right? Churchill gets wind of it. I cannot believe that the enemy is being treated so. Right? So yep. they switch to the Ritz because Churchill hasn't got his eye on the Ritz. Right? It's absolutely. Unbelievable. They take him to the pub. There's one trip where they go to Whitby and they drink too much beer and a U-boat captain is heard shouting torpedo orders at the passing shipping and has to be sort of... Restrained. Hustled, restrained and hustled back to Trent Park. How it's brilliant. absolutely... And I... So my plan is we find this radio play... And do it. And, and do publish it. it. Publish it. Put it out. 
um, try and get try and get Radio Four to do a to to yeah, redo yeah, it. Yeah, 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 brilliant. I love that. I'm all over that like a rash. Yeah, so that's all my... over that like a rash. Yeah. Anyway, so so uh, and we should publish it. We should publish it in our list of things. Yes, we should. Yeah, we're, we're we republishing to... along with Padre Skinner's diaries. But it's an extraordinary thing that something that super top secret. Um, yeah, uh, someone will write a radio. Play well, I've just it. I've just ordered the walls have here, so I've, uh, hopefully that will come in time for my holes. It is just. It's just fantastic, and they and obviously what happens is they start off with some U-boat captains, some fighter pilots, bomber crews, whoever they've accrued. Some people they captured in the battle for France, and then they suddenly they get these massive influxes each time there's a big German defeat. You know, so that a whole load of generals after um, and and brigadiers and colonels and stuff after the after the North Africa after Tunisia. Then once Sicily falls, a whole load of more, you know, and they and, and after Normandy, a flood of people who are captured. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. So does does Helen know where where this guy, you know, what happened to this guy's papers? Um. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and find out. Yeah. But I've asked him. Uh, I've uh, asked him. You know, how do we how do we get hold of you know find this? And I've asked some friends at the BBC who we would who you go to at the Beeb to get this commission, not comedy. You go to the drama department because they want comedies apparently. Um, okay, fine, whatever. In radio, but, but, I mean, yeah. but it's so interesting though. And they end up, at, at, they end up with with a with the generals fighting. You know, they end up with a pro Hitler faction and anti Hitler faction within the, within this camp. And the Batman are all like absolutely outraged that there's factionalizing going on. And, it's also that place up near Peterborough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Fontoma becomes the focus of becomes the focus of the anti anti-Nazi faction. Well, within... you can sort of tell that from the almost, you could almost tell it from the photographs of him at, 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 at captured at Alamein. Yeah. Have you seen the pictures of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he just, a, he just there... doesn't look like, I know and there's that's a, a, te- this is there... a completely facile comment, but he doesn't look like a he doesn't look the full. He doesn't look the full, the, yeah, he doesn't look the full <laughs> so package, I know that's ridiculous, but you know what I mean. He just yeah. doesn't. He yeah. doesn't have the bearing. Yeah, but they're amazing. Okay. There's a, literally a team photo taken of them all. Um, uh, you know, stood together. All the all the all the generals. You know that some of them refused to pose for because they didn't they didn't like the idea of being. You know. And then do you know about do you know about these um about the the Kaltenbrunner takes all these guys um hostage at the end of the war. Yeah. So there's this what are they 147 of them or something. Yeah. The VIP hostages and he end, they end up in in the South Tyrol. Yeah, that's right. By yeah, this yeah. holiday resort, yeah. with, with you know, if it doesn't work, then execute the lot of them, and it includes yeah. it includes sort of you know Greeks and Brits and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and Russian um, NKVD things, but also Franz Halder. Yeah, yes, it's all very. That's all very. That's just amazing. very strange. High-ranking German but what VIP they, what, prisoners. What they do at, at Trent Park is they basically they they get a load of leads. So so it, it, they they get them to talk. And they get all these leads about things that then get passed on to Bletchley and, you know, look out for stuff about this. Yes. And, and you know, and it's Fon, Fon Tomo who, who, who talks about the V weapons. And then all sorts of pilots going, yeah, I was training at a testing facility and we saw this, we, we saw this rocket thing. Oh, it's quite something, you know. And, and it's really, really interesting that, that, that they get these leads and, and some of it, you know, some of it is absurd. So, the, you know, this, the, the idea that the V2 has a 10-ton warhead. And that uh, you know, which after all, they've that Lindemann and Co get very hung up on before the V two first appears. They're really worried about about um, how powerful it is. I mean, it, yeah, it's a fasc- It's absolutely it's a fascinating book. And then she's got you know her, her last books about Kendrick, who you know who ran all this, 
who was um who was uh in Vienna before the war in Austria before the war and and thrown out for spying and uh who's essential to the story and again he's one of those people I'm not going to use the word forgotten because there's far too much forgotten baloney about the second world war but he's one of those people who's slipped through the cracks and they're telling the story anyway um the walls have ears i we must get well, helen on because she's great fun yeah and, no well let's uh, get on uh, let's really get on fascinating. yeah no i'm i'm a big big fan of hers and, and then, um and then in the um, mail i got sent this dusty volume oh, history just, of the second honestly, world war. it's a work of genius merchant I just shipping to, uh, and the demands of war by cba Behrens. It's absolutely brilliant. It's the only it's the only British official history of the Second World War written by a woman, and, and it's completely brilliant. And it, it a it's utterly utterly fascinating. B the complexities of wartime shipping are so mind boggling. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm just this is this has opened up a whole new world of of, of rabbit holes and lines and stuff. But I also want to congratulate C H A Barons on her brilliant writing. Really. Um, yeah, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read out a bit. So, so one of the bits she's absolutely amazing about is, uh, and I think we should do a full on session on this. But I'm just gonna give you a little sort of flavour. So, so in in sort of 19, end of nineteen second half of nineteen forty when the blitz happens, obviously what they then have to do is they have to get rid of the kind of eastern convoys, east coast yeah. convoys. Yeah, yeah. And most of Britain's freight moves around the country by ship particularly yeah. bulky freight, whether it be food, yeah. whether it be particularly coal. coal. And coal yeah. is needed for absolutely everything. It's needed for all industrial processes. It's also yeah. obviously needed for railways, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it, but it is, uh, and it is needed for ships, of course, as well. So it's just, coal is absolutely everything. So the, the whole of Britain is just sort of, you know, covered in a fog of coal smoke. Um, but they have to get rid of the East Coast convoys. So suddenly they have to, you know, Greenock up on the Clyde, and Liverpool and Cardiff and Bristol are suddenly getting this weight of freight that they haven't had, particularly um, Glasgow, you know, straight the Clyde, Greenock, yeah, and, yeah. and and Liverpool. And it is absolute chaos because the Stevedores, suddenly lots of stuff is just being dumped because suddenly you've got this sort of flurry of convoys coming in and there aren't enough people to deal with it. There's not enough cranes and machinery um, and, and derricks to deal with it. And so it, they just unload it very, very quickly and dump it. And all the stevedores and dockers and all the rest of it, they're, they're kind of really unhappy about that. So they're threatening industrial action. And, and no one knows what to do. And the whole thing is just turning into a massive administrative logistical cock-up of gargantuan proportions. So they think, what are they going to do? And, and there's this brilliant line, she says, says um, in the meantime, while policy on a national scale was being evolved, the regional port directors had to make do where it was lacking as best they could. They were supposed to coordinate in inverted commas the various activities in their areas but this word like the confusion in inverted commas in the ports for which it was intended to prescribe the re remedy was merely one of those abstractions by which the human mind naturally seeks to explain facts so numerous and complicated as to defy <laughs> description <laughs> you can't tell me this is not a work of genius so what they do is they create these regional port directors I think okay. Well, there's only one way around this, and this is one of the kind of sort of brilliance of our of our democracy, which isn't very democratic in the Second World War. So they put in these these regional port directors, and they go, okay, we're now going to call you a dictator. They are actually called, really, not officially, but they're saying right. we're going to call you dictators in inverted commas. You are the really? regional port director, but we're going to term you as a dictator. Amazing. Uh, and your 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 authority is absolutely total 
except to one man, which is the Minister of Supply. He is the yeah. only person to whom you are answerable. Everything else, you can do whatever you like. And the regional port director, both in Glasgow and Liverpool, do such an amazing job of turning things around. Yeah. They give more money to the stevedores and dockers. They bring in more people. They get zillions of people to just work out the administration of how you deal with these convoys coming in. Yeah. But by the time of the Liverpool Blitz in May, although it's incredibly destructive and three and a half people, thousand people lose their lives, the efficiency levels have improved so much that it is a mere dent in the overall efficiency of the port and nothing more. Blimey. Because they all realise that suddenly this is time to up the game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the yeah. game is so is so ups is so upped that it offsets the negative value of the blitz on on Liverpool. It's That's amazing. Absolutely, it is absolutely amazing. And that I, I promise you, Al, is just the that is just the tip of the iceberg with this. That is just well, the the map, that, the, I have given you one example so the other thing that's absolutely amazing i'll just i'll just do, do, do this one before we get on to because yeah, yeah. another time we've got to talk about okay the problems of shipping and the two completely contradictory requirements and 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 desires of the british and the americans once the americans come into war so before yeah. the americans come in the war they're really happy to use um merchant shipping on behalf of the british yeah because they don't need it yeah because their their civilian supplies are absolutely fine yeah. once they enter the war they need that shipping for the Pacific. Of course. So suddenly, with America in the war, it actually sets back Britain's ability to maintain her supply levels, particularly with that most important commodity of all, oil. Because the world's yeah. the, no one has more oil tankers than the Americans do. Yeah. And right. that, so, so suddenly, from, from having the Americans completely on side before they're not on side... They're completely offside when they come on side. It's absolutely it well because just because amazing. well because because of the, because of the shift in American interest. So before the Americans course, are involved in the war and requirements it, and needs. Well, exactly, but it's in America's so, interest to provide Britain with oil. But once America's in the war, it's in America's interest to provide America with oil. Um, right. And, yeah, yes, but it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's more it's than that. So as, civilian requirements. Rem, yeah. uh, while while supply is about civilian requirements, it's all fine. But the problem is, is that once they're in the war, the Americans have military requirements that they didn't have before then. Yeah. Which they now need. Yeah. So that's the that that's the whole issue. Yeah, and that yeah, yeah, whole yeah. thing has to be sorted out. And it, and again, it puts on a completely different complex, um, uh, complex a, a completely different picture onto, of course, yeah. things like the Bengal yeah. famine because yeah, it's yeah. just it's not as easy as going. You know, Churchill wanted to send a whole load of food to Bengal. <laughs> it's like when well, he might want to, but he can't. Yeah, you know? yeah. But anyway, yeah. but let me give you just one last example, which is the port of Freetown. So once once France falls, most of West Africa is suddenly becomes Vichy. Yeah. Yeah. And Vichy is kind of, you know, vehemently against anti-British and yeah. might go to war with Britain at any moment. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're professing to go neutral, but they might not, as discussed before last yeah. week with Mike Nyberg. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, But they need the British need a stop-off point. If they're coming from kind of India, from Australia, or all yeah. the rest of it, from, from, from the Suez Canal all the way around the bottom of South Africa, they need a stop-off point for these convoys. And that stop-off point is Freetown. Now, Freetown is in what is it it's um, sierra leone and up until that point is kind of you know two or three ships in port at one time is busy suddenly overnight they have to have the capacity for 150 
And Sierra Leone is not an advanced nation at the time. Um, it doesn't have the infrastructure. The free town itself backs up onto mountains. There is not enough running water. There are not enough dockers or stevedores. There just isn't yep. the labour. There is the, yep. the labour on paper, but there isn't the train labour. Yep. There is nothing like the coal or the coal storage. And you've got to transform this port in literally a matter of minutes into a kind of bustling major stop-off point, one of the most significant stop-off points in yeah. the entire world for the yeah. Allied war effort. Well, and they if, pull it off. And it is I've, absolutely amazing. Because I've got here uh, open the map of the route to convoy WS-18, which sailed from the UK the 15th of August 1942, to Bombay. So that goes Freetown, Cape Town, Durban, Bombay. They don't all do all those stops. And these are monster ships, which are what they call monsters, which is, or queens, which is in, which is your Queen Mary type passenger vessel, but it, but not running at their normal capacity, but with, you know, that, that, um, they're supposed to, they're supposed to carry 6,000 people. They've got 15,000 soldiers on them. Uh, you know, so essentially a division per ship. I mean, that's absolutely it's amazing. amazing. Well, listen to this. It would be difficult to find another port where so much was expected from such few facilities. There being no deep water berths, no dry dock, poor repair facilities, inadequate shore accommodation, insufficient European personnel, shortage of skilled labour, lack of building materials, inadequate stocks of food and a trying climate. <laughs> well, this says about the, these, these ships... Um... And, and also, the other thing is they're also competing with, um, because this is the start of the Takaradi route of aircraft yeah. over across, across yeah. um, Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, and um, up to Egypt. And so you also need the, the supports and maintenance blocks to uh, sort out the aircraft once they yeah. come off the ships. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Anyway, we've got, we've, we've got to wrap up, haven't we? The master of the Queen Elizabeth, after the experience of one voyage with 15,000 on board, complained that when the ship healed, he had observed an unusual and disconcerting motion that had not been apparent when only 11,000 were carried. I mean, jeepers. Even that the ships don't handle properly. It's incredible. Right. We will see you. Um, uh, and let's do more of this because this is, this yeah, is yeah, I promise you, to, this I'll is read, so fascinating. This. It's so interesting and yeah. it's so unbelievably complex. Yeah. I am loving it. And I, my, she's my new history hero, CHA Barons. I can tell you, she's got a really lovely turn of phrase. <laughs> um, we will see you soon. Thanks very much for listening. Um, uh, Thursday, I think we've, um, we, you know, the, the treats keep coming, put it that way. Um, yeah. And uh, Family Stories is back next Sunday. Um, yes, Thursday's Autumn Hendrickson and Reading, Reading USA. Um, we will, we will see you soon. Cheerio, cheerio.